part. Maybe I got it? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, if you guys would, turn in your Bibles. Um, I want to read in Proverbs chapter 30 real quick. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. This is not something I plan to share on. It's not where I plan on spending a whole lot of time. It's just something that the Lord has on my heart right now that I'd like to share with you all. Um, yeah, we'll go from there. Proverbs chapter 30. Verses 7 through 9 are particularly what I'd like to read. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty, poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I share that with you all this morning because as I sit back here, and I'm reflecting on the morning and the day yesterday. I'm keenly aware of my brokenness, my sinfulness, and my inability. I find myself in a set of circumstances in life right now where I find myself easily stressed, easily frustrated, questioning and doubting and overwhelmed and so on and so forth and I can get so fixated on my circumstances but God in his grace has helped pull my head out of the sand through the help of many of my brothers and through this church looking through the the quarterly update that we have and looking at all the prayer requests that are in there is it's brought to my attention that I'm not alone. That probably each and every one of us in this church and our family members have trials that we're facing and struggles that we're seeking to endure and praying for wisdom and not knowing what that looks like. But I'm reminded that I'm not alone and that we're in this together. And along with that is just my utter need for Christ. It's so easy to have the right information in your head, but it can be very challenging to apply it when it's time for the rubber to hit the road. And so before I, I delve into this message that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart as we continue to work through the book of James, I just want to highlight as I was listening to a message this morning from Paul Washer that, that Doug sent to me, and I'm so grateful for it, is that it's nothing that I say. It has nothing to do with me. I have nothing to contribute to this message, to my ministry, to what it is the Lord has called me to, other than my sin and my utter need for Christ. And any gifts, talents, or abilities that he has given me are his and for his glory, and it's not me. And so I just want to, to share that with you all, that I'm up here as a, a broken man, unable to do the task that's set before me. But Christ is more than able. And that's the reason why I stand here in front of you today. And each of us, Lord willing, are in our seats today because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And for those of us that may be here listening that are still 
heart of heart, dead in our sin, indifferent to the reality, the only reality that we need to be sanctified in truth, and the only truth is God's word, that God would do a work in our hearts to bring that reality to light. Truth is not subjective, it's objective. There is one truth, and God is the author of truth, and we need to submit to that, and we can't do that apart from him. So as you guys turn in your Bibles to the book of James, where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning, I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer. God, I thank you for... I thank you for suffering, Lord. It's hard to say that. But as Paul Washer shared in the message I was listening to this morning, Lord, that you can only fill us in so much as you rid us of ourselves, Lord. And suffering is a tool that you use to do that. Lord, that we never look at it with joy in our hearts. And it comes in very different waves, Lord. But one way or another, our calling as Christians is to suffer because Christ suffered, Lord. And so I pray that you would do a work to help us to suffer well. And Lord, not only that, but to find joy in the midst of it, not because of our circumstances, but because of who you are, God. I pray that the prayer of each one of us in this church would be, Lord, give me just enough. Lord, that we as sinful human beings are prone to desire too much. But Lord, we often forget you when we have much. But Lord, the other side of that is when we have so little that we are utterly destitute and that we contend to doubt you, to curse your name, Lord. And I pray that you would keep us from that, but you would help us to be content with what you see fit to bring us, Lord. And so I pray as we spend time working through these verses in James, Lord, that you would use me despite myself, that your word would go forth, that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would continue to soften our hard hearts, Lord. And again, if there's anyone here, anyone that hears this message that is dead in sin, Lord, that you would open their eyes, you would breathe life into them, Lord, and you would bring them from death to life through the power and work of your son, Jesus Christ. May you have your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Let me turn in my Bible to James. I'm also going to be honest. I can tend to be long-winded, and I can lose track of time. And my wife is probably worried back there because I didn't bring my phone up here with me for me to recognize how much time it is. So if I'm, I'm going long-winded, please somebody give me a signal. Um, I would honestly appreciate it. I have to drive to First Indian and preach every year afterwards, so I have to be sensitive of time. Um, so anyway, so what I want to do is I'm going to read through um, all of James chapter 1 past couple times I've had the opportunity to preach we've just been working through the the book of James we haven't even made it through chapter one we did verses 1 through 18 uh, last time was verses 19 through 21 um, and so I'm going to pick up in verses 22 through 25 today is where I'd like us to turn our attention to so I want to read the whole book just to set context I will briefly uh, reiterate what it is that we've already gleaned from this text and then we'll focus on the few verses that we're going to study in today so James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. 
James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So to help reiterate some of the context here, this book was written by James, the brother of Jesus, who was an unbeliever until Jesus's uh, crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. When Jesus revealed himself, uh, James was one who uh, witnessed the resurrected body of Jesus and he placed his faith in Jesus and believed that he was indeed the promised Messiah. Uh, up until that point, he had remained dead in sin. Uh, James is writing this letter to uh, the, the church that is spread abroad, the dispersion. They've been dispersed because of the persecution that was happening to the Christians at that point in time. God was using this persecution to ultimately fulfill his word that the gospel would go forth from Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. The, the believers were staying put in Jerusalem. They weren't spreading and sharing the, the, the good news. And so God used persecution, hardship, and suffering ultimately to get them to spread and, and share the word. 
But in the midst of that good news going forth, there was trials, there was suffering, there was hardship. And so James, in these first several verses, uh, his, his opening section is really just trying to draw the reader's attention to to God, get them to look upward and not forward at the circumstances going on around them, but to remember that their circumstances are ordained and orchestrated by the God who cares, the God who knows, the God who is working in all things and through all things. And so he's encouraging them to remain steadfast, to persevere, to remember the promise of, of eternal life that God has given those to that 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 love them to to ask for wisdom and that whenever you doubt to turn to God and don't question his character and, and ultimately to not place the blame on God for the trials the suffering the hardship the circumstances that is especially the sinful response to it God is not the one responsible for that but our own sinful desires are what are seeking to cause us to go astray in the midst of these trials rather than seeing them for the good gift that they are so James in verse 19 tells the readers to know this. This is something that they needed to know in light of everything that he said. They need to know that every person needs to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. That last time I was preaching, I was, I was trying to draw out the point that we need to be quick to hear what? God's word. We need to hear the gospel. <clears throat> Just as James was encouraging the believers uh, and, and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of the creature. There's the word of truth. James is saying, be quick to hear. Ultimately, in verse 21, hear what? The implanted word. It's the gospel that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to know the scriptures so that way we are quick to hear those and to not be quick to speak or quick to become angry or zealous in our passions to react out of our flesh. But we need to submit everything to what it is that we were quick to hear. That's God's word. And so today we're moving on in verses 22 through 25. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. That it's really important to understand it's not simply about hearing it's not simply be quick to hear and that's enough but that hearing needs to go from the ears from our head and sink down into our hearts and when it's in our heart it saturates our being and out of our heart is where we operate from our gut is another way to think of that word heart it's our innermost being it's not just simply our desires but it's that element of us that shapes our desires and then animates us and so james is saying that we need to hear yes but we need to be doers of what we hear he says in verse 22 not hearers only deceiving yourselves that there's those that are deceived because they've heard and perhaps they're even doing in one sense but are they doing at a heart level? Romans 2.13 says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Matthew 7.24-27 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. It talks about him building his house on the rock and the waves and the wind came and the house remained steadfast 
But then there's the fool in verse 26. I'm sorry. Let me find it. Yeah, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat about against the house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so there's this comparison and contrast to, to, to hearing and doing versus hearing and not doing. The one that does is wise. The one that does not do is a fool. So if we only allow what we hear, if we only come to church and we, we hear a great sermon and perhaps we, we listen to sermons throughout the week, we listen to the Christian podcast, we read the blog posts, we, we post blog posts ourselves, we, we post scripture verses, we send them out and, and group me or, or a text to people and let me pray for you. We do all of these things, but we're not allowing it to change our heart and shape our innermost being. We're a fool because that's not what it's about. The Pharisees were excellent at this. The Pharisees heard God's word. They knew God's word. And even in a sense, they were doing the law. They were doing what they were told, but they were doing it from a head level. They were not doing it from a heart level. Hosea 6, 6 says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. First Samuel fifteen twenty two says, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifices and to listen than the fat of rams. That ultimately we can hear, but we can be deceived and think that's enough. We can even look at there are certain aspects in our life and our doing and think that's enough. But brothers and sisters, we need to get real with ourselves and look at is, is what I'm hearing, is what I'm posting, is what I'm sharing really what I'm operating out of? Or is it a thin veneer that just is supposed to look good and really underneath it's like a whitewashed tomb? Perhaps it's not even to that extent. Perhaps we have been regenerated in Christ and we are going through that sanctification process, but we need to be real with ourselves. Where am I at in this? Are we placating ourselves and patting ourselves on the back? I'm doing good enough. Things are going well. When really deep down, you can see that your house is crumbling. The foundation has cracks in it. And if that's the case, we need to take that before the Lord. And I'll speak for myself, and I'm sure many of you can, can, can agree with this. That's hard to do. And oftentimes it's impossible to do apart from the Holy Spirit. But when he starts to use circumstances in our life, he uses the loving and encouragement that may be painful that comes from a brother and sister in Christ. We need to be quick not to throw up our walls but to reflect on that and see, is this true? Is this where I'm at? To allow God to work in that area of our lives. Because again, God is trying to rid us of ourselves, of our pride, of the I'm doing good enough and recognize I'm not. I'm sinful. I'm broken. I'm not doing God's word to the degree that I should be doing it. God, please work in me. Change that. Bring this area of my life in submission to you and enable me to be a doer, not merely a hearer. 
this is the sanctification process. It doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're being indifferent in sin. God is just constantly going to be taking us deeper and deeper and deeper. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded in this life, we will never get to a point where we've arrived. We will always be struggling with sin and we will always be confronted with more areas in our life that are not in line with truth. And we need to be sanctified in that truth. We need to submit to that sanctification process. So I want to encourage us that are in Christ. I, I want to, to, to leave this bit of encouragement that, yes, we will be recognizing areas of our life that are not in submission. But we have hope. This is exactly what James is encouraging these believers that we have been brought forth by the word of truth. Verse 21, that we, are, we receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. The gospel is our hope, that we have hope, and we need to share that hope. But for those of us that are just living a facade, we just have a mask on that we are not truly in Christ, but we are pretending. Jesus says in Matthew verse chapter 27, verse 21, this is a hard truth. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's going to be people who profess the Lord. They profess Jesus as Christ. But the reality is they're not in Christ. And I don't want to ignore that. I don't want to pretend that just because you're here today that you're good. That you've got your get out of jail free card and you're good. We need to reflect on our lives and find what is our assurance based on? Is it based on me and what I'm doing and my good works? Or is it based on the gospel? Is it based on my inability and my insufficiency but Christ? And because of that, we allow that to energize us and animate us and cause us that to spur us on. To the good works and so i just challenge you to reflect on where you're at are we deceiving ourselves verse 22 be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror it goes on to say and he forgets what he looked like are we doing that are we allow are we sitting here and hearing a really good message and nodding our head and saying, yes, that's good. But we, we leave church and we find ourselves living the same life that if people were to observe us, they would question whether we're in Christ or they would quickly draw a conclusion. They're not in Christ. We don't want to be deceived. I don't know about you guys, but as painful as that is, I would rather have that as er those areas confronted and be able to change that area of my life than just simply remain dead in my sin God's word is like a mirror it reflects our true selves our true nature and disposition before God it is the ultimate standard that shapes the reality that we live in this is John 17 17 sanctify them in truth your word is truth if we spend time hearing the word 
and therefore seeing reality in ourselves as they truly are. We're confronted with that, but then we walk away and it doesn't change the way we live. It's just as James is saying. It's like looking at ourselves in a mirror and walking in a way and forgetting what we look like. I mean, how absurd would that be? If we really think of that, each one of us, I guarantee, I kind of hope so, this morning as you were getting ready for church, at one point, whether it was brushing your teeth or doing your hair or whatever, you look in the mirror. We make sure that we're presentable for the day. For those of you that didn't look in a mirror, maybe you should have. I don't know. All right? Some of us, maybe we struggle with looking in the mirror too much and we shouldn't. But anyways, my point is, we look in the mirror and we remember what we look like. Each one of us sitting here today probably has a mental image of what your face looks like. If you don't, that's scary. All right? But if it, it would be like us sitting here and not being able to recollect what we look like. When we spend time hearing God's word, but we fail to do what's in it, it's the equivalent of that. God's word highlights this is reality. God is creator. Man is dead in sin and alienated and separated from God, unable to reconcile himself to him. There, there is a crisis. But God in Christ, there is a solution. And because Christ coming is perfect man, being born in the flesh is the God man, fully God, fully man, living a perfect sinless life that we could not and ultimately suffering and dying in our place because we could not. He suffered to such a degree that we could never endure. He suffered so much, not only the circumstances of his crucifixion, but that God, in a sense, withdrew from him. He was God, so that's not in totality. But you understand, when we suffer, God promises to be there with us in the midst of our suffering. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bore the full cup of wrath that we deserve. And he did it with joy because he knew his sheep. And he knew his sheep would hear his voice. So Jesus died, but he didn't remain dead. He rose again on the third day and he revealed himself showing, look, I am God and I did what you could not. And I did it because I love you. Place your faith and trust in me today. Model your life after me. Pick up your cross daily. And ultimately, Jesus ascended. It is seated at the right hand of the father, ruling and reigning. It is done. Jesus says, you don't have to worry. It's done. I've done it. Are you going to struggle? Are you going to suffer? Yes, but I'm with you and I've done it for you. And you can trust me. It is sufficient. And so we go with joy, trusting in that. And ultimately, he promises that we will receive the crown of life to those that endure. We will sit with him in the presence of true joy and goodness and beauty and live in the fullness of that. But brothers and sisters, when we hear that and we don't do that, we don't allow it to change our hearts as if we looked in the mirror and we forgot what we looked like. I hope that you can grasp that reality that God's word is truth. It is the standard of what is around us that the spiritual realm that I'm trying to paint a picture of is closer to us than our own clothes on our back. But because of sin, we can't see it. And so we go about in our lives pretending as though that's not true, but it's more true than the trees that are around us and the breeze I feel on my face. 
And we need to live in light of that truth. And so we can't simply sit in our chairs and hear a good message and nod our head and walk away and get consumed with the cares of this world. The money, the job, the what ifs, the unknowns, whatever it may be, we need to be reminded. And I am I am preaching to the choir. I sit here just yesterday and this morning as I walk up here doing exactly the opposite of what I'm preaching to you. I'm not doing this, but I need to do this. It's just like Romans 7. Paul cries out, I do the things I do not want to do, and I cannot do the things I know I need to do. That's me. That's us. But God knows that. My wife shared a quote with me. Some of you may come across this. Um, it, it's a little crass, but I think it's a good quote. God factored in your... Stu God already factored in your stupidity whenever he placed a calling on your life all right and the reason why i share that is there is nothing in us where god's like gosh i really wish that was not the way things were or i you really could be doing this but because of that you can't that all of our weaknesses our frailties our failures when god in his mind before he spoke anything into existence and he had each one of you pictured in his mind he knew all of your strengths that he was going to give you and he knew all of your weaknesses and the calling that he placed on your life was tailor-made for exactly that that there is nothing in us that catches god off guard in fact our weaknesses are there because that is where he is most glorified the fact that i stand here before you having to confess i'm not doing this is the very reason why I'm here because I need Christ just as much as you all need Christ. And it's because of that that we can persevere with joy and that we need to allow God's word to change our hearts, not deceive ourselves, not forget what we look like in the mirror, but we need to allow that mirror to reflect the areas of our life that are tarnished, that are stained, that are weak, and then bring them to submission in Christ. Yes, God, that's me. I'm weak. Or yes, God, that is a gift, talent, and ability that you've given me. But every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, that's your gift. That's your goodness. It's not me. I can't take the credit for it. I'm not going to stand before God and say, I saved people because of the way I spoke. I'm not going to say I'm here because of my good works. There is none of that. That anything good that is recognized in me is because Christ is in me. God is the only source of good. So any goodness is only from him. All that I contribute is my sin, weakness, and failure and frailty. But he chooses to work in that despite myself. And God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He works those things for good, for his glory. So brothers and sisters, our ultimate call in life, as the, the, the Westminster says, and even as, as many other confessions have re-articulated, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. And how do we do that? By allowing God's word to change our hearts. How do we do that? you spend time in God's word and you pray each time you read God illumine my heart and mind so that I may not be dull so I may not be dismissive but allow this to change my heart and through your spirit that resides in me 
soften my hard heart, God. Show me areas where I am not in conformity to your truth. As the psalmist prays, reveal in me, God. We need to ask him to do that. And then when he does that, to not kick and scream, but to receive it with joy. I need to be keenly aware the trials that I'm facing in life right now is answered prayer. And I need to face those trials with joy. And so I encourage each one of you, as I read through that bulletin this morning, that are personally struggling and many with trials that are far greater than what I'm dealing with. Or you have loved ones to recognize God uses suffering and hardship in our life to answer our prayers, to bring about good, to work all things for good and turn us towards Christ. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This word blessed is repeated in, in chapter one. We talked about it before and it talks about to be joyful, to be happy, to be filled up. And who is it that is blessed and joy-filled and happy? The one that is doing. The one that looks into the perfect law. God's law is perfect. God's word is perfect. There is no error in it. When you read the scriptures and you find something that seems to be an error, the error doesn't lie in scripture, it lies in you. And oftentimes, I don't say that as a, a, a cliche of like, putting a smooth veneer over it. The reality is whenever you, you find those things, it's not because you're dumb. It's because this is an opportunity for you to dig in and seek to understand in its historical, cultural context, what this author was seeking to communicate to this audience. And a hundred percent of the time, let me rephrase that, 99% of the time it can be reconciled. And I say 99% of the time because there's that 1%, it may be greater than that. God is God and we are not. We will never fully comprehend him. We will never, ever fully understand, not even in eternity, not even when we are with him, will we fully comprehend. Why? Because he is creator and even in eternity, everything is created. We will spend eternity learning about God. And that is where we will derive joy. And so we need to recognize that God is doing this work in our life and we need to submit to that. And so when there is an error, it is an opportunity to recognize I have a misunderstanding. Let me dig in and reconcile that. And I promise you, when you step from just reading the Bible and finding contradictions or errors or things that are confusing and saying, huh, and just moving on, when you transition from that stage to whenever you find yourself at that point, and you actually put the Bible down or you start turning the pages and you look at cross references, you look to commentaries, you go to your pastor, you start to dig in, you find an answer, your walk will deepen so much because you'll recognize all those areas that were confusing are really, really significant. And it highlights who God is and it, it just draws you deeper. So we need to recognize God's law is perfect and therefore it is the law of liberty. What is liberty? Liberation freedom that it is through God's law that we find freedom and it's perfection and exactly what I was just sharing with you we are free through the suffering the trials the hardships it's ultimately how God sanctifies us and frees us from the bondage of sin and ushers us into the freedom of Christ and so we need to receive it with joy and not be a hearer who forgets 
but a doer. I'm belaboring the point, but the reason why I belabor the point is it really is as simple. And the verses we're looking at, read the Bible and do what it says. Okay? It's that simple, but I understand that is, is way easier said than done. But Christ. God's spirit lives in you if you are in Christ. The, the third person of the Trinity who spoke everything into existence, the ground we're sitting in, the chair, the material that it's made of, the clothes you wear, your very being spoke all of that into existence, dwells in you fully and is the one that enables you in the ways that he sees fit to be doers of the word. Does that mean that we walk out of here and we we hit it full bore and we start doing everything 100%? Absolutely not. Why? Because we would be crushed by the weight of our sin and the reality of our inability. God in his grace is patient with us and he will show us one area. Sometimes you may be in a season where it's like five areas and those are really hard, but his spirit will enable you to work through those areas that he's conforming to Christ And once you walk through that, but wait, there's more. And that'll be for the rest of your life. But we can endure that. We can remain steadfast as James encourages the believers because of Christ, because of who God is. Because as he says, there is no change in variation. There is no shadow that God is perfect in his being. He is the author of truth goodness and beauty and therefore we can rest in him as he carries us through that through his spirit that dwells in us as we joyfully submit to the work that he is doing in our lives so i encourage you if you find yourself being a hearer and not a doer if you've been in a season of a lot of hearing and not doing confess that before christ acknowledge it for what it is Ask him to help you grow and then receive with joy whatever he sees fit to bring to you. And I do mean whatever. It may be, it may be a season of, of prosperity and joy and ease, but we need to remember while we're there, we will face hardship. And in one of seasons of hardship, we will face seasons of joy. We will go through that ebb and flow through the rest of our lives, but we can endure because of who Christ is. Let me close this with a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for the reality of your word, Lord. And as as I sit here, and I guarantee as I go and I sit down, I will be frustrated over my inability to apply what it is that I've just shared today, Lord. And I'm sure I have brothers and sisters here that get so frustrated with themselves of saying the right thing but recognizing keenly in their lives they're not doing that very thing. And Lord, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak truth because your word is truth and ultimately we should strive to that, Lord. But I pray that you would help us in humility to recognize we are weak, we are frail, that we oftentimes hear and don't do, Lord. But rather than allowing that to cause us to be pessimistic and passive, Lord, that we would allow that to energize us and to lean into you and submit to the greater work of your spirit with joy, Lord. So I pray that you would cause us to hunger for your word. We would spend time in your word. When we do so, we would do it with a posture of humility and readiness to learn. 
Lord, that you would just have your way in our lives. And again, God, just for those that I know there are people here that are just indifferent, Lord. They may smile and nod and then they sit there with their arms folded just thinking this is stupid. But God, your word is truth and you're, you are reality. You are the author of all things, whether they believe it or not. And God, I just pray in your grace that you would overcome that indifference and that hard-heartedness. Lord, most of us heard the gospel many times before we actually heard it, Lord. And so I pray that today would be an opportunity for that. I just pray that you would have your way in the lives of your children, Lord. Your sheep know your voice, and we may stuff cotton in our ears, but eventually you'll pull it out and we will hear. And I pray that you would do that today, Lord. May you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.